by the Word of God. So, Psalm 34.10 says, The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Psalm 84.11 says, The Lord God is a sun and shield. He will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly before him. Psalm 103.1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's not what I can do for him. That, uh, that's not what he can do for me. That's what I can do for him. Bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. He forgives me of all my iniquities. It's his great pleasure. He heals me of all my diseases. He delivers my life from destruction. Crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies and satisfies my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. I told my wife I'm like two 33-year-olds and a toddler trapped in a 68-year-old body. She grabbed me by the arm one day and said, one of you come out. <laughs> But it didn't stop there, right? Matthew seven eleven. Jesus said, If you, being limited, evil is what the King James says, but it means limited. Know how to give good things to your children. How much more does your heavenly Father know how to give good things to those who ask him? Then Philippians, Paul begins to write. Chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who started a good work in you, We'll complete it, perfect it. Philippians 2.13. For this Father, Abba, Papa God, working in you because he's willing and to do his good pleasure. There is such great promise in the, in the word. And I can tell you the faithfulness of God is amazing. It, it's consistent. You can count on it. I've, I've had prayers answered. Just I've, I've had some prayers I thought. I just thought those prayers. And he hears me thinking. David said, you hear our thoughts so far off. So, and he's into every part of you. He's fascinated with you. The, the gospel, the good news is better than we've heard. It's, it's much gooder, if I could use that slang I want to, it's amazing. I'm telling you, it's so much fun to be in this realm of, uh, don't mean everything's perfect. It means that he's working it out in me. And, and, you know, I always tell people, if you want to make God chuckle, tell him what your plans are. Because <laughs> he, he's got a perfect, we, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? He said, I know the plans I have for you, plans to bless you and not harm you, to give you a hope and an expected end, a future, a hope and a future. So the best me is yet to be. The best you is yet to be, I believe. I, I think the moment we think we've arrived is the moment that we, we, we miss out. We really do. It, it's almost like we become... A, Long distance to the blessing. It's kind of like the guy who said he heard it was a, now this is a dad joke, so it's okay if you don't laugh. But God said he heard it was 
a law that you had to turn your headlights on in Sweden when it's raining. God said, how are we going to know when it's raining in Sweden? <laughs> well, we're not so much concerned about Sweden because we're right here right now, right? Yeah. I told somebody I'm going to get me two dogs. Name them Rolex and Timex. They'll be my watchdogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's 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 a it's an epic. It's fun. Jesus is in the upper room. He's getting ready to give his life. The whole reason he came. When, when he came, you know, he came as a baby. Somebody said, well, the, the good news, the love of the Father was manifested when Jesus died on the cross. Well, I beg to differ and saved us from our sins. I, I, I want you to know the love of God was manifested since before time began. And imagine Jesus, a toddler. He, imagine him you know, discovering butterflies and cabbage, <laughs> you know, imagine Jesus growing up to be a teenager. Imagine him going through every phase of life that you and I go through, tempted just like we are, challenged just like we are. But then I want you to go with me to John 13 I'm going to read from the Passion Translation because I love that translation. It's uh, don't have the these and the thous and the King James was written in the 1600s when they talk like that. So, and I think that Dr. Simmons has a real grip on, not, you know, not everything is perfect in his translation, but I think he's got a good grip on the Aramaic, which is what Jesus spoke and Hebrew and even Greek. So Jesus says in the verse 34, then the upper room in the, it could have been a tent on top of the roof. That's, that could have been the upper room, but he was in the upper room with his disciples. And he said, so I give you now a new commandment, that word commandment and totally, it, it means to draw something out. It's not like in the military that you would be given a command this is not that that word is, is a kind of weak word because commandment means that I give you something that the Holy Spirit is going to be the author of. He sent forth his spirit into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And how many know that First John 4, 8 says God is love. Doesn't do, he don't do love. He is love. Verse 16 says God is love. His very essence. Everything about him is love. Even his wrath comes as a result of his love against anything that is contrary to his will and his love toward us. I remember being in Ecuador down in the edge of the Sequoia jungle with uh, where girls would had a refuge there. They would be sold by their parents into early marriage at 13 years old to old geezers and, and some of them sold into prostitution. 
And they would escape and they would come to that girl's house of hope. And I remember being there and it was my task to, to share a message one night. And I remember being in a little cold tile room floor in that, room, in that building, laying in the floor and talking to the father saying, I want to say what you would say if you were here and you're here. I want to say it like you would say it because I know it would bring life. And he took me to Psalm 36 where it says, Lord, your faithfulness is like the sky. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your justice reaches to the depths of the sea. That word just judgment is in the King James, but it means justice. It means when injustice prevails, he knows how to set things right. I'm telling you, he, he is for you. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who could be against us? God's not ticked off and he's not, he's, he's not going to kick you to the curb. I don't care what you think about him. I don't care what you, how you feel about him. And I want to share something with you that's really going to help you, uh, I believe, because it's really unraveled some stuff in my life that brought me to a place of great freedom. You'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John 8, 32 and 36. So he says, I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true followers. Now, if you go over to 1 Corinthians 13 in that love chapter. Now, this is, I want to tell you, there's four different kinds of categories of love. And there's been millions of songs that's been written with a theme of love. But it's not the kind of love that we're talking about here. Because there's four kinds. There's one called eros. It's, it's predatory. It's very selfish. It, it, it's the kind of love that says, I want what I want, and I don't care what it costs anybody else. That's the kind of love of self. That'll never take you to the distance. Very, it, it, as a matter of fact, eros will use you up and then kick you to the curb. As long as you can give me what I need, then I'm going to keep you around. Eros, that kind of love. That, that's not what we're talking about. There's another kind. It's called stargy. That's family love. We all know about that. You know, my mom used to tell me, <laughs> you better behave. And, you know, I was, we were talking about her back here, and she's, she passed away back in 2006, May the 31st. I'll never forget. And I remember she used to take me in the, in the bathroom and grab me by the belt loop with a hickory. She didn't use a belt. She used a hickory. And she'd take me around and around. I was, I was a kid, but I was very, um, I, I was kind of wide open, you know. I'd get in trouble. And she, she'd always ask me, said, you going to do that anymore? And I'd say, no. And she'd keep going. You going to do that anymore? I said, no. <laughs> I thought, mom, may be hard of hearing because 
She's not stopping. <laughs> but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Stargy is the kind of love you see when a mother is taking her children down the sidewalk and they keep, she keeps her children over away from the street. But that love's limited too because we know we've seen families fractured when that stargy fails. Then there's filio. It's the word, it's where we get the word Philadelphia. Filio means friendship. The friend, we all have friends. But I can tell you that I've had friends that are, didn't want to be my friends anymore. Come on, you've probably been there too. Because there's usually conditions to that friendship. It's not unconditional. But the kind of love I'm talking about tonight is otherworldly. It's the kind that, that I believe will, will cause you to sit in a place of great rest and understand who you are. Because you begin to understand who your father is. Jesus came to show us what the father's like. He came to experience everything you and I would experience. So he, the Bible said he could be a faithful high priest. He's the high priest seated at the right hand of the father. Hebrews 7.25 said he's able to save us to the uttermost. That's, we read the word repentance, but that word was put in the Bible in the 1200s. It's really repentance is metanoia. It means a radical change in the way you think. Now I know about thoughts because I've asked the Lord on many occasions, I said, Lord, heal the way I think. Help me to understand how to renew my mind because the Bible is full of exciting passages where Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he said, I, I beseech you, therefore, I'm really encouraging you by the mercies of God, that the loving kindness of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Don't be conformed to the world. Let me tell you, the world will try to use, they'll, it'll chisel away at your character and make you into somebody God never intended for you to be. And we try to fit in to the world's fads and the world's idea of who we're supposed to be. That's not really fair to you because we're all created different. We're all unique and we all have different gifts and talents. So Paul said it like this. He said, I dare not compare myself with those who compare themselves with themselves for they're not wise. <laughs> Don't we live in an age of comparison? It's amazing. So he said, whoever God approves, when you understand you're accepted, then you know you're approved. Ephesians 1, he says, we're accepted in the beloved. Whoa. Nowhere in the Bible will you find the word eros. I think the Holy Spirit restricted that word from being put in this love letter of the Father. Because it's such a travesty and there's so many people who are pulled into that, that lie of eros. You read it in Hosea where God told him to go marry a prostitute. And brings her into the house. She has the best of everything. She's experiencing something she had never experienced. But she didn't know how to handle it. So she runs back to the, to the eros. The, the temple where they 
sold her for to the highest bidder. He went back, got her the second time, brings her back home. She remembers now she's not being used. She's being loved with agape. I'm talking about otherworldly kind of love that says, I don't care what you do, how many times you run away. I'm married to you. You're mine. Third time she runs away, he don't go after her. He waits. This time they put her on the auction block and he hears they're going to sell her because they've used her up now and she's no good to the temple so they're going to sell her into slavery. And the Lord speaks to Hosea and says, go buy her back. I don't know how many people were gathered around for the auction, but I can almost see Hosea as he's pressing through the crowd, getting close and all of a sudden, probably Gomer spots him. That's, his, that's her name. She spots him and she thinks, wonders, what's he doing here? How, how, I, I was sure he was done with me after the times I left him. I was sure I would never see him again. No matter, no, and it probably, we, we don't even know how many times she probably thought about how good she had it in Hosea's home because he's a type of of love that every heart yearns for. So he goes and pays the price, brings her back home, and we see a picture here of the Father's heart toward you and me. And Jesus says, when you demonstrate that love, that agape, it's not any of the others. When you demonstrate that love, that's how people will know you're my disciples. Look over with me to 1 Corinthians 13. That's the love chapter, agape. He said, if I speak with human, I'm going to read it from several translations if it's okay. I want to take a moment and just take you through some of these. From, first from the New King James Version. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. He said, if I could speak in tongues, I could speak the language of angels. If I could do all that, he said, if I don't have love, agape, I am a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy. And understand all mysteries. That's not the sign of a disciple. Jesus didn't say that would be the sign of a disciple. Paul said, if I could do all that, understand all mysteries, and I had all knowledge. And if I have all faith, people say, you just need faith. No, you need to be loved first. Because faith won't do us any good without that. When you know how much you're loved, man, it'll shoot your, your faith through the roof. That confidence. He says, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and I give my body to be burned, but don't have love, it profits me nothing. 
It says, love suffers long, is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely, doesn't seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You could put Father's name right there. Let's read it from the message. Eugene Peterson's got away with words. He says, if I, he said, I, I, if I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and I have faith that says to the mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I'm, I've got nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Watch what he says. Love never gives up. You could put God's name right there. God never gives up. <coughs> love cares more for others than for self. God cares more for others. That's selfless love. The Father gives himself to the Son. The Son gives himself to the Father. The Holy Spirit gives himself to the Father and Son in the perichoresis, the circle of love, the dance. Come on, the, the perichoresis means uh, the circle of, of choreography, the, the, the circle dance. Religion will never teach you that. But boy, I've, I've learned about an adventure that the Father wants to bring us into that I can't even imagine. It's amazing. Wants to bring us into that place where we're safe, where we're secure, where we're, we're, we're healthy in that love. So he says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trusts God always and always looks for the best. Never looks back but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Wow. That's agape. That's the Father's heart. Let me give you... I'm not going to read another translation because that's pretty cool. I'll tell you what, let's do one more. Can we? I'm going to start at verse 4. Love is large and incredibly patient. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else, love does not brag about one's achievements, nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect. Oh, Lord, let me be, let me be like that. Love doesn't selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty, finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. Now I want you to think about Father God. 
in that relationship of knowing who he is. You've heard me talk about it. It's probably before where Moses is 80 years old. He spent 40 years thinking he was somebody because he's raised in the courts of Pharaoh. He talked like an Egyptian, was educated. By the way, that word educate doesn't mean to learn something. Educate means to draw out. That's what it means. So, intelio, the command to draw out. So, when you, when you think about Moses, he's 40 years old. By the time he's 40, he's getting pretty... He, see, he knows he's a Hebrew now because his mom has been his nurse. And he's been taught about his heritage. But he looks like an Egyptian. He's dressed like one. He's taught, he talks like one. He, he kills an Egyptian because he's abusing one of his brothers, hides him in the sand, but I guess he left his toes sticking up because the next day his brothers got in a fight and he was going to break it up and they said, you're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian. And he was fearful because Pharaoh found out and put out a hit on him and he runs to the backside of the desert. But he runs right into the perfect plan of God. You ever been in the desert? Yeah, I'm proverbial desert. A place where you feel isolated. A place where you don't have the answer. Maybe, I know what that's like too. But I can tell you, at 80 years old now, Moses has been keeping the flock. Here's the cool part. Now we're talking about agape. This otherworldly, not an emotion. This, this essence of the Father, this love that we see in every blessing that we experience. Matter of fact, you're the imprint of that love. You, you are created in his image, and we're all different. Eight, eight billion thumbprints, and nobody has the same one you have. Eight billion dental plans, and nobody has the same one you have. Yeah, he broke the mold when you were born. He didn't make another one because he wanted just you. Eight billion people in the world, and the whites of your eyes, there's this little roadmap of blood vessels that is unique to you alone. I began to think about that, Stephen. I said, boy, that means when I raise my hands, he knows who I am. When I become like David and I will lift up my eyes to the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. He knows who's looking in his direction. When I open my mouth and talk to him, he knows my voice. And he wants us to know his. Can you? Yeah, absolutely. Here's the, Moses is there on the backside of the desert. He runs into Jethro's daughters there at the well to, to water the livestock. But the other shepherds show up and usually run them off. So they're later. It's usually in the afternoon, much later when they get home after. They have to be last most of the time. But that day Moses helped them. He got them. He, he fended off the other shepherds and let the girls water the flock. They got home early and Jethro said, how did you get home early? 
I love their response. They said, an Egyptian helped us. <laughs> and I began to think about that. Moses looked like an Egyptian, but he wasn't. So why did God put him on the backside of the desert for 40 years? Because he had to get all of Egypt out of him. He, he, he loved him so much. He wanted to get all of Egypt. Now he's looking like a shepherd and the bush catches on fire, but it's not consumed. I've been to the desert. I've been to the Nile River. I've, I've seen those bushes and it was pretty common that a bush sometimes would spontaneously combust, but not, not one that wouldn't be consumed. And Moses stopped and let me see this. He's 80 years old. I did a, the funeral service for Freddie today with a preacher friend of mine whose last name is Hughes, by the way. We're not related. He says we're related. He tells everybody, he said, I think we're blood relatives, but he says we're not. He, he tells them, I, I say we're not, but it's okay. He's, he's a good man. He's 80 years old, just turned 80. And I thought about, man, that was how old Moses was when he found the, he got to the burning bush and God began to talk to him. He already had a plan his whole life because he spared him in the ark in the Nile River. And he wound up on the backside of the desert so God could get all of Egypt out of him and turn him into the man he always, always had intended for him to be. That's my prayer. I said, Lord, let me be who you called me to be. Don't let me try to make myself into something that you didn't intend because I'll, I'll be living a counterfeit. Come on, somebody. I don't want to live a counterfeit. I want to be the real me that God saw. And, and, and think about this. Moses is transformed, but he's standing there and God begins to talk to him. He said, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry. He didn't just see and Here's what agape does. I've come down to right to meet them right where they are. I've come down to meet them right where they are. And he said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. The first question Moses asked, who am I? Have we, has any of us ever had that question about myself? I have. I've, I've had that question. I think we all come to a place where we have that question about identity, who we are. I know my name. I know my heritage. I know my mom and dad. I know my grandparents, and I know that biological heritage, but who am I really? Why, why am I here, right? I want to find my place. I'm telling you, I'm smack dab in the middle. I'm like an Oreo, man. I'm in the good part. Because... <laughs> And I, I didn't get here overnight, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because I know I'm where he intended for me to be. And I'm learning more about who he is and I'm discovering who I am because of that love. Now, Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? He only asked that question once. He only asked it once because God didn't answer that question directly, but he did. 
When it came down to the time when Moses said, who will I tell the people sent me? The father spoke out, out of the flame and said, tell them I am that I am has sent you. Come on, you understand what that means. I'm everything they've been looking for. I'm everything that the gods of Egypt could never fill the void of the lives of the Egyptians that they've watched them worship the sun. They've watched them worship the frogs. They've watched them worship the river. They've watched them worship all these idol gods and they could never fill. I stood in a place called Caesarea Philippi, the biblical place that Matthew 16 gives us the account where Jesus would would have taken his disciples north of Galilee. There's a temple there that's in ruins. It's, the pillars are in rubble. And I stood there and they asked me to read Matthew 16. And in the, in the cliff, there are these little beautiful artistic cutaways in the rock where they would put their idol gods. It's where they worship the god Pan, who is the god of everything. It's the God who is in everything. It was idolatry. And so Jesus took his disciples right in the middle of that thronging crowd of idol worshipers. And he asked this riveting question. He said, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? It's like he answered the question, right? And they said, well, some say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets, or even John the Baptist. Come back from the dead. But Jesus got real personal. He said, who do you say? I want to know who you say I am. Because there is identity. There is where we find who we are. And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus, in turn, announced a blessing to Peter and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You can't learn this. In the, in the earth, but my Father in heaven has revealed this truth to you. And upon this rock, I will build my church, this revelation, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whoa, Peter, man, that loudmouth preacher. <laughs> it was always getting in trouble as inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's inspired by agape love to recognize who Jesus is. Philip comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus says, he's already told him, he said, if you've seen me, he said, I've come, the words I speak are the words I've heard my father speak. The, The works that I'm doing, I've seen my father do them. And Philip said, show us the father. Pater, it's a word that means one who takes responsibility for you. And I know so many times we believe the lie that God has left us out in the cold, and he don't really care about us, and, and life will pull you through the knothole. It'll pull you through the knothole. I mean, think, things you would never plan. Sometimes by our own choices, we wind up in places we would have never chosen to be. But that's no major problem for the Father or his heart. Because I'm telling you, he's into transformation. He's into changing hearts. You know how? By showing them his extravagant love. And so we see that 
Peter discovers something about the Father. I want to tell you this quickly. I, I don't want to, I just, yeah, it's okay. We got a few minutes. Go way back to Adam. Adam is, they've committed sin and they ate of the tree that God said, don't eat the tree. He's not trying to restrict them. He's protecting them. That's what the, the, the law of the love of the father is not to restrict us. It's like a stop sign. If you, that stop sign is not to restrict us, it's to protect us. So Adam and Eve, their eyes are open and they are shamed now. They're in shame. And they sow fig leaves together. That's religion's attempt with self-effort to try to fix yourself. And they're hiding. But I want to tell you something about the father, Agape. He shows up for the walk anyway. And he asked them the question. He said, Adam, where are you? Now, do you think he didn't know? <laughs> He's God. Absolutely. He knew where he was. He's given him perspective. Where are you? How did you wind up there? God shows up. Love shows up. And Adam said, the woman you gave me. <laughs> it's the blame game now. <laughs> and the woman said, the serpent. <laughs> and, and so God still shows up. And he gives them a covering of skins. You know, God already had a solution to the problem before they ever had a problem. He's God and he's love. And agape has come. So we, we see a picture of the revelation of, he said to the serpent, he said, because you've done this, you're going to crawl on your belly and eat dust. Well, Jesus said, He's like a, Peter said, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We're made of dust, right? That's why I told my wife I don't dust at home. Because it says from dust we came and dust we shall return. I said, I'm, I don't want to dust. I said, it might be somebody we know. <laughs> Come on, just okay. That's a dad joke too. So we get out of it the best way we can, right? So he said, you're going to bruise the heel of the woman's seed. But know this, the woman's seed is going to bruise your head. <laughs> Ultimate headbuster. <laughs> He's going to take away his authority. So we see here the, the grand love of the Father coming to rescue us. To discover in him how much we're loved. 1 John 3. Now, I want you to think about this. Adam's hiding. Peter denied Jesus, remember, three times? You, you heard that story. Jesus knew he was, but he never spoke to his failure. Jesus spoke to his future. He said, Peter, I know you mean well, but for the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times, but I prayed for you that your faith won't fail. And when you're, when you're converted, strengthen your brothers. Oh, that's the Father's heart, man. He speaks to the future. He's not going to beat us up because of our failure. He speaks to our future. Oh, that's what he's interested in. 
So Peter goes out and weeps bitterly after that happens. And Jesus, when he is resurrected, tells him, he said, go and wait in Jerusalem till you be endued from on. I'll send the promise of the Father and you'll be filled with the Spirit. You'll be endued with power. Read a little further on in John 17, Peter's 21, I'm sorry, 21, he says, I'm going fishing. And six other of his disciple buddies says, we're going with you. And they go fishing. You know why? Because I believe Peter felt like such a failure. I, I believe that he didn't see any redemption. Even though he went out and wept bitterly, he didn't see that there was any alternative. He said, I'm just going fishing. They fished all night. When the sun came up, there was somebody standing on the shore. They didn't catch a thing, by the way. And Jesus yells at them and says, Children, do you have any fish, meat? We fished all night. We, we hadn't caught a thing. He said, throw your net on the other side. It's daytime. They didn't fish in the daytime. But he said, it's daylight. Throw your net on the other side. They said, okay. We, we didn't catch a thing, but well, let's do it. When they begin to catch so many fish, Peter looks perplexed. And John, it says, the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, you know he wrote that about himself, right? He wrote in the book of John. Several times, the disciple that Jesus loved. John's the author of that. Not that he didn't love everybody else, but John had a revelation of how much he was loved. And he leaned over to Peter and he said, It's the Lord. <laughs> now tell me the difference. Peter jumps in and does a, does a sprint to the shore toward Jesus. Adam's hiding. What's the difference? I think Peter knew something about the nature of the Father. He had been with Jesus. He would spent three years with him. He had been a failure, but he remembered Jesus spoke to his future. And he knew if, if he could just get to him, he would feel that love again. Jesus asked Peter three times. He's got a bread and fish. On a cold, on a fire. Remember the last fire Peter's at, the one he denied Jesus. This fire is one Jesus built. Deja vu. And Jesus says, You love me, Peter. Peter said, I love you. He said, Feed my sheep. Second time, Do you love me, Peter? Peter said, You know, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Third time, he calls him Simon this time. Simon, son of Jonah. Remember Jonah? He's the one God had spoke to to go preach at Nineveh. And he goes in the other direction. He calls him Simon. Hadn't called him Simon. He gave him the name Peter. But he says, Simon... Do you love me? And Peter's weeping now. He said, you know I love you. You know everything about me. 
Here's what I believe Jesus was showing Peter. And I, I want us to embrace this part of agape. This otherworldly love that we're loved right now. You are loved with that same love. Absolutely. Jesus tells Peter, Peter, I know you missed it. Maybe he didn't tell him that, but just bear with me a moment. I know you missed it. I knew you got off track. I know you got away for a moment. But here we are, right back where we started. If you read about when Peter first encountered Jesus, the same thing had happened. They called a multitude of fish. Jesus had told him where to throw the net. And he tells Peter, he said, we're right back where we started. Right here. And he says, the same, my message for you hasn't changed. I want to reiterate the message for you. He said, follow me. Oh my goodness. Peter became a T-rail. He was... He was amazing because when it came time for him to, they crucified him. He wouldn't be crucified like Jesus. He, he didn't feel worthy, so he asked them to crucify him upside down. Wow. You know why? Because he knew how much he was loved. I want you to stand with me. Agape. I want to tell you this love is Unconditional. No, it's not about what we do. I want to tell you something, and I want you to grasp this because it's brought freedom to me, and I want it to bring freedom to you. What we do does not define who we are. The titles that other people may give us, they don't fit. Circumstances, even... Our own choices sometimes. What we do does not define who we are. I believe our perception of who we are will determine what we do. Give you an example. I was in Kenya, traveled with the king of the Maasai. Uh, You may have heard this, but Josiah Musha, in that 18-hour ride down the Great Rift Valley, the king's wearing street clothes. He's got a shawl. We get out of his territory into Uganda, and even the people in Uganda know who he is because of what he's wearing. They know they can't touch him because 800,000 Maasai warriors <laughs> would be a problem. So they know who he is. He knows who he is. The Bible says, You are a peculiar people. That word peculiar doesn't mean strange. It means special. It means you are his special. I don't care who you are, where you've been, what you've done. You are his. He's he's fascinated with you. So when you understand who you are and how much you're loved by the Father. And you begin to don't allow anyone or anything in your past. You can learn from the past. Don't live in the past. The past will keep you held hostage. You can learn from it. But the greatest 
revelation that could ever come to us is to know the Father's heart. I remember coming out of prayer many, many years ago. I would be in prayer talking to the Father. And I felt like the Holy Spirit impressed me to say, when you really get to know the Father's heart, not religion. Religion won't teach you that. Relationship. When you really get to know the Father's heart, you become unshakable. You don't have to prove anything anymore. Come on. Because you're approved. And he approves you. Accepted in the beloved. Over in the Old Testament, it says, he says in Isaiah 54, he said, for a small moment I forsook you. But with great mercies I'll gather you unto myself. You'll be far from fear and oppression. It won't come near you. If it does, don't worry about it because it's going to fall for your sake. Whoa, man. I'm telling you, I was under threat in India. I remember being under threat. We had to take a different route from the Crusades every night just so the radical couldn't track us and <laughs> do harm to us. And I had no fear because I knew I was deeply loved. By the Father. So I want you to know life can be an adventure. It can be amazing. But we have to have that metanoia, that radical change of mind. That what produces a radical change in behavior. Changing the way I think. Whoa, man. It's amazing. Neuropaths create new neuropaths by thinking new thoughts. Ephesians 4.23, be renewed with the spirit of your mind. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's amazing. 1 Corinthians 2, 16, but we have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Jesus never felt threatened. <laughs> but he lived as you and me, as the son of man, so he could feel what we feel. And he became the expression of the Father's love. So tonight, I want to pray for you. And I want, to, I want to challenge you to know that agape, to know that otherworldly love, how much you're loved. No, you don't have to measure up. There's no standard. As a matter of fact, Paul writes... In one translation, it says, you'll never feel orphaned again. But you're fully accepted by the Father's love, this agape. Hope that makes sense to you. Hope, hope that that's settled in your heart that, no, it's not about performance. It's about surrender to that love. Just become the real me, man. I told everybody, I said, I'm going to be, a, I'm 68. I'm going to be a sight from here on out. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this journey. I'm going to love people. And I want you to know I love you. Every one of you. And that's just not words. I can tell you. The Father's love, it has action with it. It comes with action. He don't just say, I love you. He takes action. So I want to pray for you. 
If you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, I want to enter into that place that I'm, I let him transform my thinking so that I begin to understand who he created me to be. And here's what Jesus said. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you have eternal life. Wow, just believe. That's it. That's all amazing. So if you, you are here and you say, Pastor, I want the Lord to continue to help me to renew my thinking so that I can see myself the way he sees me, right? Slip up your hand. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me pray. Thank you, Father. Lord, doesn't matter if we touch you or you touch us. The results are going to be the same. There's going to be a radical transformation. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you'll breathe on every heart, every life, a fresh wind. Lord, we pray that you would raise us up to begin to see with excitement the peaks of this journey, Lord, that is such an adventure. Lord, we pray, Father, that you'll help us to see you as our Father, the one who takes responsibility for us, that we'll relinquish control and allow ourselves to be your sons and your daughters. We pray, Father, that you'll help our minds to be renewed. We ask you, Lord, that you'll help us to cast down every imagination, every thought that's contrary to your will for our life, because we know that your will for our life is one that's so grand and it's so great. Lord, it's amazing, Father, that we can't even comprehend that. But we pray, Father, that you'll help us to begin to see this beautiful picture of an amazing journey together with you. We give you glory and give you praise. Thank you for your sacrifice to bring wholeness and healing to every heart. Thank you for your love, your extraordinary, extravagant love. And we give you glory and we call it done in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless.